0: Is your business plan very unclear and you're tirelessly working at a low-paying career? Let's help you get out of the rut and let go of the fear. It's time to excel into the million-dollar stratosphere. Now, here's your host of The Balanced Millionaire, who will take you there, Eileen Mendel.
1: This is Eileen Mendel and welcome to our show, The Balanced Millionaire. I am your host and our mission is to help entrepreneurs, business owners, and executives learn more about how to sell, how to market, how to do business development, and other tools they can use to grow their businesses. And I have today a great guest with me. His name is Michael Tracy. So this is exciting. Um, He is a trainer, an entrepreneur, and a speaker. He has started businesses in marketing, software technology, and professional training. Michael has been teaching time-tested strategies and techniques for maximizing human potential for over 13 years, first as a sales manager and trainer, then as a business owner and executive, and now as the founder of Sales Journey, a business growth education company. He has recruited, trained, managed, and motivated several sales forces that have achieved many millions in sales results including a team that surpassed 5,000 members. Michael is an entertaining, high content, high energy speaker. He teaches practical proven uh, strategies and techniques that people can use immediately to achieve their goals, increase their productivity and have better lives. Michael is a skilled speaker and presenter bringing a combination of practical ideas, personal experience, and an enjoyable presentation. In his career, Michael has developed experience in business growth, sales, sales management, sales presentation, skills, sales negotiation strategies, business development, entrepreneurship, product development, marketing, customer retention techniques, coaching, training, and leadership. Michael is the co-author of the worldwide best-selling book, Unlimited Sales Success. Now offered in 12 different languages, and he also holds three issued patents from the U.S. Patent and Trade Office for Inventions and in Software Technology. Welcome, Michael, to our show today.
2: Oh, thank you, Eileen. And remind me to, to shorten that intro quite a bit.
1: That was very- <laughs> well, there, there is a lot of interesting information because... Um, you have had a number of different experiences, both as an entrepreneur, as well as on the other side of, uh, of that, which is uh, training people to grow their businesses and um, be entrepreneurs and, 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 and up level their sales. So it's good to have bo- experience in both worlds. So um, what do you enjoy most, doing uh, the entrepreneurship or training?
2: Oh, that's a great question. Well, you know, I, I think I've been an entrepreneur my entire life, um, but having, you know, a core set of skills in sales and business growth, I think is essential to entrepreneurship. So I think they go together really well. And I I feel like if you're good at sales, then I think that just empowers you to be a better entrepreneur because entrepreneurs, you know, have to sell their ideas, right? They have to bring on investors that also believe in the future potential of the company they have to sell their first employees to take a risk, you know, sometimes giving up lots of benefits and a reduced salary. And so they have to be great salespeople on, on lots of different levels, you know, in addition to selling you know their product or service. I I I think that you know that they're complementary. I think the better you get at one, the better you get at the other.
1: And tell me a little bit more um you uh, have uh, some patents in the software technology area. Uh, what type of software is that? Tell us a uh, little bit more about that.
3: So,
2: so uh, um, I was a co-founder of a software startup uh, four or five years ago, and you know we had we had a huge mission to disintermediate Facebook. And I'm not going to get into the technical application of that, but essentially, it was. Uh, about content control, like allowing people to really understand and control how their content gets disseminated on the internet and then ultimately how to monetize it or leverage it to build audiences in a way that um, they would be able to maintain ownership. So instead of um, you know getting a fan or a follower on somebody else's platform, they would really be able to own the audience um, into perpetuity. So uh, re- regardless, you know we were <laughs> we were outclassed a little bit. Um, but we learned a lot, and so we developed actually lots of software technology patents um in that in that company, and so uh, mostly around content control and audience ownership.
1: Well, that sounds interesting to me um, so, what would you advise for a software company now that you've you know been a startup you know what are some of the things that you stumbled over or challenges or um, things that, you know, you had moments over when you were doing that.
2: Yeah, I know. That's that's a great question. So I think the biggest mistake you can make is assuming that you know what the market wants. Um, I think as entrepreneurs, we have great ideas and then we just immediately think that, you know, everybody's going to think it's a great idea without validating it. Um, and so I think the, the best advice I would give is if you have a great idea, Ah, uh, don't keep it to yourself. You know, get it out there as fast as possible and see if if it resonates with anyone. I mean, the worst thing that you can do is spend lots of time thinking about and developing things that nobody wants. And so, the fastest way you can get get it out there and validate it, uh, the better. And I think this has kind of been reflected and popularized by the you know the MVP concept, the minimum viable product. Um, if you have an idea, get it out there, get some validation, and then if people want it then spend money developing it, then spend your time developing it and starting a company. Um, but getting that validation first is really essential.
1: And how would you suggest if someone doesn't really have much of a budget to go out there and get it validated? I mean, do you recruit, um, because your friends are maybe or may not be as honest as you think um, about what, it is, and so you want somebody who is not biased one way or
2: the other. How oh, do you do that? Uh, well, you know, I think that I think the some of the best methods I've seen is just to create what they call clickable mocks, so interactive mocks where you can actually click through and get the sense of what the like the actual you know customer and user experience might be. Yeah, so so being able to – there's all sorts of cool prototyping tools that you can use that enable you. Uh, to get your ideas out really quickly and get get that initial feedback and validation.
1: And when you're getting the validation, does one worry about having you know a patent or, or tra- any kind of confidential protection? You
2: know, um, I I wouldn't worry about having a patent to protect an idea. Um, I, I think the first thing is get a validated idea. Uh, if everybody wants it, then figure out if you need some like additional level of you know i p protection um, and if you can patent your own idea, that's even better, but that's a, that's a pretty onerous process, and I feel like if you get stuck there, you might miss miss your opportunity and miss your window um, mo- most most companies develop patents or buy patents for defensive reasons, um, not for offensive reasons, and so it costs an enormous amounts of money to actually defend a patent. You know, hire lawyers and have them go out and do that. So I, for, for, for a startup or an entrepreneur, um, entrepreneurial situation, I would definitely not get stuck on the IP. I would I would work on va- validating ideas um, and, and accumulating a good customer base.
1: So when you work with startup companies, now that you yourself have been with a startup What are some key things that you would advise them to do at the start and things that um, would help them accelerate their progress?
2: Um, So I think it would start with, you know, being honest with yourself about if your idea is something that somebody will pay for um, and then forcing yourself or disciplining yourself to actually go out and get some letters of intent or commitment saying that if, you know, you have – what you are going to develop, that people will actually pay you to do that. And I think once you have that, um, I think it'll be a lot easier to get investment, um, to get the right types of talent um, and technology to actually build your product successfully. Uh, once you have something that everybody wants, then it's just a matter of how do you scale that and how do you get it out to as many people as possible. Um, and, you know, there's, there's, Lots of different ways to do that, just depending on the industry and and what sort of target prospect that you have. And so there's like the you know marketing and sales are so interrelated today that um, you you kind of need to kind of mesh them both together. So there's developing that awareness, um, brand recognition, um, but also identifying your targets and then figuring out how to you know get in front of them and uh, actually and win their time. I think that's the the big kind of uniting force is, you know, everyone initially uh, is always competing for the time and attention of their prospects. And so having a good strategy to get in front of those people uh, is essential.
1: Can you give us an example of how you were able to um, get a small company, a startup company um, in front of their target audience, uh, you know, with very little
2: expense. (laughs) Well, yeah. So, I mean, if if you don't want to spend the money, then you have to spend the time. Um, and I I find myself working with a lot of what I call appointment driven sales organizations or appointment driven sales professionals. And and just what that means is that if the, the appointment is the constraint, right, it's getting the time and attention of the right person, and so they find themselves with, you know, this great idea or this wonderful product and it solves a, it solves a big problem or it relieves a huge pain. Um, and they just can't get in front of the right people. They don't have the, you know, they, they, they've never been in the sales position before. And it starts with really figuring out who your prospect is. Like, who, who are these people? What are their titles? Uh, what industries are they working in? You know, what level of management? Are they CEOs? Are they middle managers? um are they in technology are they in it are they in logistics i mean really getting a very clear picture of who your prospect is and then asking yourself some you know some some simple questions like where, where are the where are your prospects like do they go to is there certain industry events that they go to um how, how do you find their names <laughs> first and then develop you know there's some contact information around them and then ultimately what's your what's your outreach strategy right so you you know a lot of people really shy away from you know cold calling um, and it's gotten more difficult to cold call because of just more layers of gatekeepers more you know more automation more automated systems and so you know there's there's email cadence outreach strategies where there's kind of an automated flow that delivers valuable information insights and then there's a you know a call to action usually for kind of an initial introduction or appointment Um, there's ways to do it on the internet using, you know, squeeze pages and lead magnets. So you can, you know, you you can pay for a little bit of, you know, Google AdWords or, or Facebook ads and drive them to a landing page that offers them something that they really would find valuable. You know, so if it's, you know, a simple example might be, you know, if you're targeting entrepreneurs and they click on, you know, your ad and they land on your, your landing page. You know, your called your your value proposition or your lead magnet could say something like, you know, seven mistakes startup entrepreneurs make in the first ninety days that destroy their businesses. And so if you saw that and you were a startup entrepreneur, you might really want to know what those seven mistakes might be. And that might be worth an email address. So by getting that email address, it allows for, you know, an email cadence to go out and to start. You know, cultivating those initial appointments and getting that time and attention.
1: Now, as you mentioned, sometimes it's hard. It's becoming more and more difficult to get the email address or the contact info of the decision maker, and I, and I don't know if that's deliberate by a lot of mid-sized to larger companies, or if it's just. Um, you know, they, you know, they only give out their information out to certain people with certain credentials. Uh, How, how does one um, actually reach that decision maker? I mean, what, what are some tactics or techniques that um, where you can find out who's making the decision?
2: Um, So, so I mean, you know, in that case, like sales outreach, is, you know, it's one part science, uh, you know, one part skill, and then, you know, one part alchemy. <laughs> so, okay. you know, there's, it's not, it's not always the same for any one company. Sometimes it's a little bit different. It's always a different little mix of of outreach strategies and techniques. Um, I, I always focus my clients on their, what I call their, their core result statement or their power statement. And what it does is it allows them to, you know, leave a message or, or send an email or if they're tra- speaking to a target prospect to say something like, you know, if you work, you know, I, 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 like my, my particular result statement is, you know, I work with business owners to increase their sales, you know, up to 30% in 90 days. And the reason why I say that is because I want my target prospect to say, you know, Michael, well, how do you do that? How do you increase sales you know up to 30 percent in 90 days and then the, the key here is when they ask when they ask you how after you say your result statement um you don't you don't answer the question and i think a lot of people jump into it and start elaborating all the features and all the processes and every implementation that they've ever done and it's overwhelming for a prospect to hear all that so instead when somebody says michael you know how do you do it? How do you increase sales up to thirty percent in less than ninety days? I say, oh, you know that's a great question. I'd love to show you how. Um, do you have uh, do you have some time? Do you have about thirty minutes right now, or would you like to schedule maybe some time on Thursday at one p.m.
3: Oh, and so, what
2: you what you do is you yeah you you close them on the appointment, um, and that's um, you know taking a step back. You know, I realized very early on when I when I moved from a more transactional based. Sales uh, position to an enterprise sales position that you know, <laughs> you know I would I would I would get a qualified prospect on the phone, which was very exciting because it was difficult to do, and you know the first thing you do is blah right, and I, I call that I call that throwing up on the customer because you you talk about features and benefits and features and benefits and you have this sense that if you stop talking then you know you'll lose the sale, but ultimately you just you really put off your prospect and they'll usually say not interested and they'll hang up. Um, so I realized very quickly that I needed a new map. Um, and so, you know, in, in my mind, I call the map, uh, the three sales method, right. And it just acknowledges the fact that, you know, you have to actually make three different sales, um, before you can actually make a one sale. And the three sales are the first one is yourself and your credibility. So you really have to establish strong credibility, uh, to actually get, get 10, 15 more seconds of their time. Right? So you have about three to five seconds to establish credibility. Then you get about 10 to 15 seconds uh, to, to get out you know, who you serve, like the type of people you serve, so business owners and entrepreneurs, and what sort of results you deliver. Um, and if the result that you deliver is something that they want, and they'll say, well, how do you do it? And then you close them on the appointment. And when, once you have the appointment, once you have the time, um, then you can show up or jump on a conference call or whatever, a virtual meeting, and you can take the time to ask them the right questions, you know, to really glean, glean out some insights, some, some problems, some pain points, so that when you are presenting your solution or your product, you can really hit on what's going to resonate with your prospect. And then you can ask, you can, you can close, you can try closing or at least get a solid next step. But if you don't have the time, uh, then, then you'll never get an opportunity to make a sale. So it's really important. I think that's that's the common denominator, is everybody is fighting for time and attention. And so having a solid strategy to do that and disciplining yourself to, to follow the sequence, right, credibility, then time, then product or service, uh, really helps you, you know, you know, actually gives you more, way more opportunities to actually make sales.
1: So when you're getting in front of a prospect or qualified lead, um, you said three to five seconds to establish that credibility. What sort of thing can you say in, you know, three to five seconds? That's not very much time.
2: Right. Well, so if you have, if, if you're, if you, if you work for a big company that's recognized, right. You can say, you know, I'm the, I'm the VP of, you know, business development for, you know, Berkshire Hathaway, right. Or Microsoft or Google or, and, and those, those names already have credibility built into them. Right. Yes. Um, so that, that's one way to do it. If you work, don't work for a company that's well-recognized um, then you have to do it in some other way. Right, so, um, you know, I could say, you know, I'm Michael Tracy, um, an international best-selling author and sales trainer. Right, that that might be enough to establish credibility. So, you, I mean, everybody's, you know, everybody's gonna it'd be a little bit different, right? And your prospect is gonna find credibility in different things. So, um, it's just it, it really depends on you know who you're talking to and what they're going to find relevant and important.
1: And when you're uh, telling about the results that you deliver, is that uh, numbers oriented, or how would you position
2: that? Well, I, I would be I would be specific. You know, the other way to think about the results statement is um, that there's a, there's something referred to as the curiosity hook, right? And so what you want them to do is get really curious as to how you do something, and so that could involve numbers. Um, it could be, uh, a, a, you know, it could be like a a a very specific result that you've delivered in the past for previous clients. You know, it might be reducing costs. It's it's got to be something that they want and they're compelled to ask you how. If they get if they ask if they say how, um, then then you can close them on the appointment. If they say how and you answer the question, you, you might you might lose the opportunity to do that.
1: Well, that's that's really interesting. Uh, the how, you no, know, you know, is the the key word, so to speak, to get them to basically be curious. Where, like you said, they they want to know more, and then you could set that appointment. Um, so it's getting to it's getting to building up that curiosity.
2: Exactly. Yeah, and and you know. Um, you know, sales has really changed too. I mean, if you think about just, you know, and, and sales is a profession. And and you know, one of the things that I've I've seen is that nobody ever walks around and calls themselves a salesperson. You know, they 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 call themselves you know an agent or a distributor, like an account manager, an account executive, a business developer. You know, a growth hacker. Whatever whatever the name is, no nobody ever walks around saying, "Oh, I'm in sales. I'm a salesperson." Um, because, you know, sales has a bad rap. Um, and it's not because sales is bad. It's just, uh, there's some really awful salespeople. Out there. <laughs> so, um, and, and that's, and that's unfortunate, but the, the, the history of sales, I mean, if you want to go back to like the eighties, um, I feel like the eighties was like the, the pinnacle of transaction based sales. Um, you know, like you've heard like ABCs, like always be closing. Yes. Yeah. And. And I think there's a reason for that. I think if you were a salesperson in the 80s and, you know, uh, I had a question about your product or service, I had to call you, right? And I had to say, you know, does it come in blue or can you deliver it on Thursday? And if if I'm a salesperson receiving a phone call like that, I can say, yes, it does come in blue. What's your credit card number, right? Yes, I can nice. deliver it on Thursday. <laughs> what's what's your credit card number, right? You can always be closing because the, the salesperson in the '80s um, was the recipient of buying intent, right? They were receiving all the buying intent, and so right. it was the, it was an amazing time for sales. And then and then 1995 happened, and you know things changed because the internet came along, and the internet democratized information. Right? Essentially, is that that's that's what it did. And now, if people had a question like, "Does it come in blue?" You know, can you deliver it on Thursday? They weren't calling anyone; they were going to you know a search engine. Uh, I don't think it was Google; wasn't dominant at the time, but it's dominant now. But they were going to like a Google, and they were saying like, "Does it come in blue?" And is you know, can you deliver it on Thursday? And Google became the recipient of all the buying intent, right? And that's you know largely how they make all their money. They're still Monopolize most of the search engine market, and that's where most of the revenue comes from. And most of their free products that they develop are all defensive products. You know, Gmail, Android. I mean, these are all just to protect their search monopoly. And so, uh, salespeople had to change. Right? We had to like get better. Um, And so that's when they came up with you know solution based selling or consultative selling, which really um, is is about asking the right questions and listening and. Um, finding pain points, finding the problems, you know, figuring out where you can reduce costs, increase profits, and then in your pre- in your presentation is when you kind of hit all those buttons, right? All the things that you learned, you get to go back and and you know bring them to the surface and highlight the value, and then you can ask a closing question. So it's it's very much you know interpersonal, it's trust based. Um, so. You know, and that's great, and it's still very relevant today. There's there's lots of sales professionals that that have to work that way because you know sol- sometimes solutions are complicated. But I think you know, today we have an interesting uh, opportunity, and I, I you know th- there's there's the sense that nobody has enough time anymore. Everybody's kind of frantic, um, which is c- kind of a symptom of being hyperconnected, right? So we're being pinged and blasted. We get notifications all the time and so we're we're con- we're constantly you know like just bombarded with new information and so if somebody says hey Michael do you have some time it's like no I don't have any time I, I can't even spare a minute you know I've got a thousand things to do I'm even though I might not be like that busy I just feel that busy because I'm super distracted I'm, my attention's being pulled left and right um <clears throat> and and so you know, now, like so if you go to Google, right, and you type in your problem in 2019, right? And I got this problem, well, you get like four hundred and eighty-five different potential solutions to your problem. And so you begin your, you know, comparison adventure trying to figure out which one you should pick and why and how much and all that stuff, and you just lose your mind, right? You just analysis paralysis, you shut down, yes. you don't yeah, you don't make a decision.
1: <laughs> uh, it is and, true.
2: And, and, and so now I think that the, the, the wonderful opportunity is that if you are a sales professional, if you're an executive, if you're a business owner, if you can get, to get in front of a prospect and you can deliver like a very relevant insight, um, like almost like a lesson, if you can kind of blow their mind a little bit and change their perspective in the beginning of the sales conversation, that's like a breath of fresh air. Because now it's like you've delivered this lesson or this insight, which points back to like the primary benefits of your product or service. Um, and that prospect, number one, will appreciate the, 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 you know, the additional level of understanding. So you'll build some powerful reciprocity. Um, if there's other stakeholders that are going to chime in on the decision, well, that person now feeling empowered and motivated by the insight or lesson that they just learned is going to go and teach them that same lesson and insight. Um, so it's kind of like a Trojan horse. They go around and they, you know, convince everybody else with your insight or your lesson. And that points back to your primary benefit or uh, primary benefit, um, or result. And, and now you've got a motivated, you know, empowered person who feels, you know, a lot of reciprocity towards you really helping you close the sale. Um, and then, I mean, if, and then, and then you can go into your kind of discovery where you ask lots of questions and glean problems and whatnot. But if you automatically differentiate your company with insights and lessons that really do increase the level of understanding of your prospect, uh, that, that is going to be a key differentiator um, in the future for, ha- for how people think about your company and why people buy from you instead of somebody else with a seemingly identical product at an identical point.
1: How much research should you do before you start talking to a targeted qualified lead?
2: Uh, a less, less than most people want to do. <laughs> so <laughs> I, feel like, I, I feel like you can get stuck in the research part of the whole process. Um, what, what I have found and what I force people to do, especially the people who go through my, my sales training workshops, is their first homework assignment is to take off their sales hat to put on their investigator hat and then call, um, a hundred, a hundred of the people who they think are their prospects. Um, and what will happen is, uh, you know, 90 of them won't answer the phone or you won't get through. Um, you'll talk to 10 people, 70 or seven, seven of those people will tell you to screw off. And then three will actually be incredibly helpful. And those three people will tell you things that you, have no. It's like it's the it's basically exposing the the things that you don't know that you don't know. <laughs> you know, you'll, you'll say you'll say, and you're you're a You're an investigator asking for help. You're not a salesperson trying to you know close a sale. So instead of you know you know trying to present it and influence, you just ask questions. You say, hey, can you help me? Here's here's my product. It's really great. It does this. Here's the results it delivers. You know, and I'm speaking to people like you, and I'm seem to be missing something. Can you help me? Can you help me find the right person? Um, can you help me like uh, understand why this this is not interesting to you? What whatever it is you want to say, and eventually you'll find someone, and they'll say, you know what? Well, we don't use that word. You know, we use this word to describe it. So automatically, and in, in our industry, this word means something different. So you shouldn't be using that word. You should be using this word. So. They'll say something like that. And then it's like, well, um you know in in you know in healthcare, you really need to go to our you know our third party vendors who actually vet you know um different you know suppliers and companies before you before you talk to us. Like we can't choose to buy your product or service. You have to go and get vetted by this third party. Um, and so you, you know you, you can call the you know these contacts all day long and never make a sale. And so you'll learn all these like really powerful little things that you had no idea about um and you'll change your pro- your target prospect profile you'll change the title you'll change the language you you use to engage them uh and it will it will basically rewrite your entire marketing plan i mean if you if you find those right people but you have to you have to reach out and start making calls uh, and it's a thousand times more powerful to do that than it is to sit you know in isolation trying to figure it out by yourself that's
1: that's really good advice we're gonna, we're gonna uh, stop now for a break, but we'll be right back. So Michael will be telling us a lot more about some skills that he can share with us that will help you up-level your business. I am Eileen Mendel, founder and CEO of The Balanced Millionaire. Who are we and what is our mission? We are a strategic business advisory firm dedicated to advancing leadership and business growth. Listen to what our clients have to say about us. I
0: was blessed to meet Aileen. She has done numerous things for my business from giving me professional advice to introducing me to new connections and going as far as finding me new team members. I cannot say enough about her and her business for the help they have given to my company. I've been working with the Balanced Millionaires team. They've helped me in setting up a concrete plan to get my business to the next level. Eileen is a cheering, inspiring, and benevolent advisor. Knowing that she's gone through the same challenges give me the confidence that I'm on the right track.
1: If you are a growing seven or eight figure business that is ready to reach new heights, contact us at info thebalancemillionaire.com that's info at thebalancemillionaire.com we're back everyone this is Eileen Mendel and I have with me my guest today Michael Tracy and we're talking about how to become the best entrepreneur, uh, some sales uh, tips and techniques, and also how to work more effectively so that you can accelerate your business to your next level. Michael, uh, how did you uh, get your sales journey started, your company sales journey, and what are some of the things that you are doing with a sales journey and your current company?
2: Yeah. So I, I feel like I mentally probably started sales journey, uh, almost 15 years ago, even though it's, it's only like three years old. So I actually, I started out, I mean, you know, I went to, I went to, went to college and, um, you know, I got some advice from a mentor that I probably should go get some sales experience. Um, and the best type of sales experience is, you know, direct sales experience. So, uh, I actually took a job as a door-to-door salesperson. I was actually knocking on residential doors. I was selling telecom for um, AT&T and Verizon through a third-party vendor. So we were like essentially sales mercenaries, kind of going where the work was. And <clears throat> um, after a few months, I got promoted and uh, moved to a new market. And I started, you know, I'm, I'm like, wow, this is great. I'm going I'm to be a sales manager. Um, and I was really excited about that because it was like a manager title. So I was like, "Well, how much how much more money am I going to make?" I said, "Oh, it's the best part. You know, you're you're going to get a small override on everybody that you recruit, um, train, mentor, and manage." And I said, "Okay." Uh, so I have to go recruit, and I was like, "Okay, well, I'm you know I'm just pretty enthusiastic." <clears throat> so I started, you know, recruiting people for door to door sales positions, and I quickly realized that. You know, nobody aspires to be a door-to-door salesperson. <laughs> so, <laughs> that uh, is
1: true. Yeah, I've, I've heard uh, some various stories about the door knocking.
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so I, you know, I, you, you, I started going after, you know, minimum wage employees, recent graduates from high school looking for a, kind of like a summer job. Um, but essentially, you know, you know, we're talking about people who are making minimum wage. And you're you know, you're trying to convince them, hey, d- you know, don't work at McDonald's or Taco Bell or this gas station. You should come knock doors, and you could potentially make a lot more money. Um, so the few people that decided to do that, I mean, I'm, I'm recruiting left and right. You get a you know, few people a week, um, and you know they, they, they most of them quit almost just as fast as you hire them. So <laughs> you hire somebody and then they quit, and then you hire somebody and then they quit. Um, uh, but the few people that you know stuck around every month. Um, that went through the kind of the, the the training and shadowed me or another veteran rep. Uh, something pretty extraordinary happened. You know, they they went from making you know a couple hundred dollars a week, which was minimum wage at the time, uh, to making you know a couple hundred dollars a day. So we were working six days a week, um, and so that's a it's a huge six hundred percent increase in their income after just you know two or three weeks of sales training, and you know what i found was that yeah the, the money was important but ultimately everything about these people changed you know like they went from you know thinking of themselves as you know having a low self esteem a low self concept low self confidence to you know me walking differently to you know speaking differently uh, dressing differently some of them started making more money than their parents and it was just it was just a really awesome transformation to see um, you know, and, and I've I've done a lot of like introspection on that, but you know, it, when I was thinking about it, it's like they went out into the market, and the market said, you know, you are worth like the absolute minimum, right? <laughs> if I if I could legally pay you less, I would. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's that's exactly how they thought of themselves. Like I'm worth the minimum. Um, and so two or three weeks later, you know, it's like the market said, whoa, 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 I made a mistake. You know, I changed my mind. You're six hundred percent more valuable. Um, and, and I feel like that, that transformation is a large part of why I do what I do. And I, and I, and I you know, I, I have a, a sales training workshops and online courses and things that, that focus on, you know, sales, sales reps that are starting out. Um, but now I've actually translated that same kind of passion, that same why into, you know, working with business owners and identifying, identifying things that, that help them achieve extraordinary results. And so one of the, one of the great revelations um, is that sales is a process. It's like, it's actually a pretty simple process. You know, it involves, you know, generating some leads, you know, prospecting those leads to figure out who's viable, who's not qualifying them, making sure that they, you know, can and will buy from you at some point um, in the near future. And then, you know, building the trust, establishing the credibility, you know going through a discovery phase where you learn about them, presenting, closing, dealing with objections, closing some more, you know, then there's the follow up and there's the resales and referrals. I mean, it's generally the the whole process. Um, and it's very rare that there's like the the one big part of the process is out of alignment in in any given business. It's usually it's like the little things. it's the little things inside the process. And so, I have worked with lots of companies, and you know, you pull apart their sales process like an accordion, and you look at like these little tiny things that they're doing. And sometimes it's just making a tiny little adjustment. So there was, uh, I was working with an affluent travel agency, and we just moved the deposit, like the, the the customer deposit, to just another part of the process, just a little bit earlier, um, and that resulted in tripling sales. Just one small change. <sighs> I'm working with. For a soft software development company, as a consultant and trainer, and we made some small changes about how how we initially engaged qualified prospects, um, and we just made it mandatory that you know everyone shows up in person, um, if possible, and that showing up in person just happened to put that you know those those you know the, the perception of the software development company went up went. They established more credibility. They became more real as 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 software developers instead of being kind of remote and distant. And that's resulted in almost a quadrupling of sales in the last two years. Um, and then and then one of my favorite stories which is just recent is, you know, uh, there, there was a group of management consultants that went through my sales journey workshop and three days after the workshop. Uh, one of the partners uh, called an existing customer and asked for a referral in just a very specific way. Um, And that, that customer gave him a referral, which resulted in an appointment. And that appointment resulted in like a, I think it was like a one and a half million dollar contract. And it was the biggest contract they had received up until that point. And it was just because of one little way to ask for a referral. And so, it's it's rarely about the big things. It's always about the kind of the small little tactical things. And so sales journey, I mean the reason why I started sales journey was to answer your question. I mean I know it's like a very long answer. I'm sorry. Um, no,
1: this is this is great. It yeah,
3: sucks. the reason
2: the reason why I started sales journey is because I, you know, I, I I'm I study sales and business growth and entrepreneurship. And most people talk about uh, the principles, sales principles, you know, and they'll they'll talk about the what? But very rarely do they get into like the minutiae of the how. And so I'll give you an example. Uh, I was at a workshop and the trainer said, you know, you need to spend half your day with qualified prospects. This was probably, you know, probably 10 or 11 years ago. Um, and, you know, I was looking around. Everybody's agreeing. Yeah, I should spend half my day with qualified prospects. That makes a lot of sense. And then, you know, I, I got back to the office and I was like, well, how the heck do you do that? <laughs> it's like I know I know we should all be spending half our day with qualified prospects, but you know, what do I do now? <laughs> and so um, you know, I realized that there was no like there was no tactical education. There's no there was not like a how to edge It was it's sales is largely about principles. Here are the sales principles, and then just go figure it out. And so, you know, I spent the last um probably last probably twelve years just be really hyper aware of what like what tactical things people do to get those results. And, you know, now, now I've compiled them all and I teach them and it's, it's pretty, it's pretty cool to see people implement, like making tiny little changes and, and getting these extraordinary results.
1: Well, you know, in my, in my case, I grew up in an entrepreneurial setting. My dad was a business owner. And I would trail him. I would sit in the car as a kid and go to his, you know, different um, clients and customers. Um, So I learned, you know, that uh, not only is it about, and um, maybe because I, you know, grew up, you know, East Coast Jewish, whatever, um, but it's more about um, the rapport and the relationship also, um, because they have to understand that, uh, you know, you really enjoy working with them and you care about them, you know, the whole thing. Um, it it was like, sit down for a couple, you know, a lot of times we knock on the door and like, come on in, and sit down for a cup of coffee and we'll talk.
2: Oh, absolutely. I, I 100% agree. Yeah. So, uh, the relationship is, is, is the most important thing. Um, and, and how you develop that relationship is, is kind of everything. Um, so one of the things that becomes really important is your is your reputation, you know for for being honest and ethical and um, you know providing a great service. Uh, and you know, I, I, maybe like you know a hundred years ago, if you sullied your reputation, you could kind of move to a different town and <laughs> and start over. Right. But but today it's like you can't you can't move you can't move to a different country and start over. You know, your reputation follows you all over the place because again, because of our hyper connected nature. So um and your reputation will be, you know, it's either it's either gonna be, you know, the your the most lucrative thing that you possess or it's gonna be the most expensive thing that you possess, um, in in terms of like your ability to earn income in the future. And so, you know, when you when it comes to like, you know, a short term gain at the expense of your reputation, uh, never do it, right? Just uh, safeguard your reputation like it's like it's like a giant, you know, diamond. <laughs> yes. um, I, I feel like that's really, that's really important. But yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head, Eileen, I think. Absolutely. Um, if you can establish like a high trust relationship, um, high value, high trust relationship, and people people like you and they want to do business with you. Um, that's, that's a very hard thing for another company to kind of dislodge, right. And, and disintermediate. I mean, you, I think you have a a huge advantage by, by being there first. And sometimes that involves, you know, some short term sacrifices up front and delivering a preponderance of value, um, without, without a clear way of, of being compensated, um, just just to establish that recipro- reciprocity and rapport um, and it's just important that if you do that you're working with you know you make sure you're working with the right types of people because obviously the the, the other type of person might take advantage of something like that so um, but yeah establishing reciprocity and and building high trust relationships is is paramount
1: okay so if you are a new widget Let's say in the marketplace, maybe you're, you know, you've got some higher value uh, proposition uh, to your product. What is it that you should do? Uh, and, and let's say you're competing against some giants out there to make yourself known, and you don't have a lot of budget, you know, a lot of money to to spend. Uh, what is it you can do to really get the attention? of your target customer, or do you start with early adapters and move your way up to more of mainstream? Do you lower your prices in the beginning? What, what sort of things can some of these uh, startup companies do?
2: Yeah, Well, so, I, I mean, I feel like if you're a startup company and you have a new widget, um, you know, I, 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 what I hope is that your new widget is 10 times better than any other widget on the market, right? It's, it's gotta be, I mean, if you want people to switch platforms or switch solutions or switch products um, th- there's got to be a very compelling reason to do that and most people won't switch because there's there's a cost in switching right there's there's an enormous cost in switching service providers um, or software platforms or products because there's usually a re-education component there's there's employee resistance it's like why are we doing this all this stuff so it really does have to be 10 times better than anything that's all, all on the market um, and if it's not you know, well, then, then what you have to do is then you're forced to kind of like reduce your prices and, um, you know, like really grovel to get the, those first initial customers. And then once you do, I, I mean, can you get critical mass? Right. Can you get critical? Can you get right. like a, enough of those customers to really justify growing your business in the right direction? Um, and so if it's not I mean, if it's if it's 10 times better. Great. If it's not 10 times better then you're then you're kind of forced to think about well do i lower my prices do i do i give it away for free you know just to get some interest <laughs> it's, um, it become it becomes really you know um, interesting at that point um, but if you if you if you do have something that's good and it's better um, that, then you know I, I what i would do do is to establish credibility because remember the, the three sales you have to establish credibility is go find some really big notable companies and then, um, you know, if you have to give it away, give it to them so that they start using it and then get some testimonials from them saying that they're using it and they love it and then use that uh, to go get some paying customers. Right. Because that,
3: right.
2: N- nothing will help you sell better than, uh, you know, happy customers. <laughs> if you have happy customers, you can get referrals, you can get resales, right? You can leverage the reputation of your, your, your client base to get more customers. Um, but if you don't have customers, you don't have a business.
1: Exactly. So, Michael, how can people get in touch with you to uh, either take one of your workshops or uh, just do one-on-one with you?
2: Um, so, yeah. So you can you can go to salesjourney dot com and subscribe to my newsletter, um, or uh, you can email info at Michael Tracy dot i o so it's info at michael my last name is spelled t-r-a-c-y dot i o and you can just include your name your phone number and and the reason for why you're calling and i usually see most of those on a weekly basis
1: so can you give us some actual stories of companies that you've worked with that uh, have um implemented some of the trainings that you've uh, done and what's the result that has occurred? You know, some of the things that have happened in your well,
2: business. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, I mean, us. Uh, yeah. So let's see. I think um, so some of the best stories involve, I, I focus on, I like to focus on constraints. You know, I, I you know, the, there's the old operations management theory of constraints and so yes. I find that like, the, the easiest constraint that I can relieve is usually the appointments constraint. That seems to be the bottleneck um, in, in most companies is just um, appointments. How do you get the most appointments? And it's a combination of having a sustainable lead generation strategy that doesn't, doesn't cost too much money. Um, but once you, once you have that, then it's about how, how do you pre-qualify those leads Um, through some sort of automated structure and that's potentially with uh, like a lead magnet uh, and a squeeze page or landing page uh, a call to action sometimes it's a survey or a quiz or like a a calculator Um, and then once that's established not only has your awareness gone up but your credibility has gone up and then um, that person will be much more open to somebody reaching out to them and asking them to sit down for some time. Um, And then establishing that time allows you just like you said, Eileen to really develop a relationship, you know, because I mean, you have to be able to spend time with people to develop a relationship. And once that relationship is established uh, that then, and, and if they like you, you know, what I find is if people like your company and they like the person that they're dealing with they tend to start finding reasons to work with them, um, you know, because of the, because of the relationship taking, taking the priority. So I may, I, I, I would focus, I, I would say the majority of what I do is I focus on the, the, the appointment constraint. Um, if they don't have, a, you know, a lead or an appointment problem, um, oftentimes it's a qualification issue so that <clears throat> they have a lot of leads coming in and, uh, they just they don't know how to sort them properly. So they end up spending uh, enormous amounts of time, wasting tons of time, you know, speaking to the wrong people, right? Um, you know, developing proposals or itineraries for the wrong prospect and then nothing happens. And so really designing a qualification process that essentially spits out just the right, the right prospect so that every salesperson in the organization uh, is... Is having meaningful conversations that can actually result in sales, um, and so if you do both of those things, you know, you, have, you know, <laughs> implement both on both sides, that then it's you know you can see you can see some extraordinary sales increases j- just by getting those those two things right.
1: In a situation where the product is still in development, um, but they're you know almost. They're close to being launched, um, but they haven't yet, you know, gone out to the market. What do you advise um, for that, uh, you know, with the product launch and the awareness that has to be, you know, um, uh, the visibility, the um, marketing, you know, that has to be done initially because that's... If it flops in the very beginning, it's not going to go anywhere. So what does one do to get that product out the door when they're ready to launch after it's been fully developed and tested and beta tested?
2: Right. So, I mean, in this case, it depends on the type of product, right? If it's like a software product, Mm -hmm. um, I I would be out selling it while it was in development, right? I'd be going out and, and speaking to... Um, every person that I can imagine that would want it and then showing it to them, it, even if it's on a slide deck, you know, or a video, you know, just showing that, showing them how it would work and how it would deliver results and how it would be better than what they have. And then if they say, yes, I want it, um, then I would have them sign some sort of letter of intent, you know, or like, or me or a pre-order, right? You collect a pre-order and a deposit, um, and and that would be, I mean, that that would be ideal, right? Because then then you have a lot of interest. I mean, if you think about how Tesla did it with, you know, every single one of their cars, it's like they everyone went and put a you know thousand bucks down, um, to get a place on the list because everybody wanted it, right? And so it was a great way yes. for investors to ascertain you know, how much demand would be for these these electric cars. Um, I think you know if you're a software company, you should be doing the same thing. If you're a product based company. Um, you know, you can have you can have a you, know, you can feature a prototype in a in a video, um, and you can do the same thing. You know, you can say here's what here's what it looks like. Here's what it's going to do. Here's when it's going be to become available. You know, we're only making you know a thousand of them in the first run. You know, make sure you pre-order it. And I would put a little a small marketing budget behind that and try to get validation too on what platforms I should be advertising on. Um, you know how how you know what what where am I going to get those leads? Where am I going to get those pre-orders? But yeah, I I don't think you you don't need, you don't need your product or service to start selling it. I mean, you should be selling it way before it's finished.
1: Uh, So you sell basically selling the concept, you know, so let's say, you know, it's not fully um, manufactured yet, but you know, you can talk about the whole concept, what it does and what it's, you know, if it's a product, what it's going to look like, what it's going to do, what it's going to, um, the results it's going to do for the customer.
2: Totally. Think, think about, um, you know, how, how Kickstarter works, you know, it's, it's somebody jumps on Kickstarter and says, you know, here's the problem. Here's the product I want to develop. Here's what it's going to look like. Here's what it's going to do. Um, you know, for the people who back me, you know, at these different levels, they're going to get some, you know, they're going to get the product at cost or they're going to get these other little, you know, tchotchkes or these benefits with the sticker or whatever and they they build interest and then they collect the funds and then i mean ideally they deliver the the product or service at the end but they're but they're doing it they're they're, they're going they're developing the interest first then they're developing the product uh, and i think you can't do it any other way in 2019 i mean i just it, it doesn't make sense to just go and develop something and then bring it to market and say i really hope somebody wants this um, because, you know, everything is changing so much faster. The rate of change is changing. <laughs> uh, it's accelerating. And so by the time you finish development and get to the market, it's too late, right? The market's moved on. Whatever problem or, or pain that your product or service is supposed to relieve isn't there anymore because it's, it's something else now. So you really have to get the interest first. Um, And, and you do that. I mean, and you can do that without the product
1: how far in advance would you start getting that interest or generating that interest? I
2: think I think it depends on the product or service, right? so if it's if it's like a nuclear submarine, um, probably years <laughs> <laughs> an, an electric car maybe like a year or, or two. Um, you know, if it's like a software program, i, I would say you know because that software can change pretty quickly, maybe three months, six months.
1: So basically, um, yeah a lot of people wait. I notice that a lot of people wait till they've perfected or you know think they have it right, and then they're disappointed because when they're launching, nothing's happening. So they haven't done the you know the pre-interest part of it. It's almost like a trailer for a movie before the movie comes out.
2: Oh, totally. Yeah. And I mean, and and I guarantee you, Hollywood does this all the time is they they go, hey, they've got these like four or five different movies that they could, you know, you know, fund and bring bring to the box office. But they do tons of focus groups, tons of testing. They gauge interest. They release kind of like these previews to like a selected audience and say, would you watch this movie? Are you interested? Um and, and, and if you think about it, you know, the high budget Hollywood movie costs like $100 million, $200 million now. So, um, I mean, you should be doing the same thing in your business. You should be figuring out if there's anybody who actually wants what you're developing. Oh, and, and that's why having the idea and selling the idea first is so essential, right? You, you, have, to, you have to sell the idea first. And, and you get buy-in from lots of different people. And, and then you've got to figure out how to execute quickly. Because if you have an idea, you know, it's just a matter of time before somebody else has the exact same idea. And the only difference is who executes it better and how fast and how how fast. Exactly. Yeah, it's interesting.
1: It's interesting. A lot of entrepreneurs. Yeah, they're yeah, they're very protective of telling what the idea is because they're not ready or maybe um, they didn't realize that they have to execute so quickly once the idea is out there. But that's that's exactly the case. Um, that uh, you have to, you, like you said, you have to sell the idea first. You can't just hold back and you know assume the audience is out there, the target yeah. is out there.
2: If you, if you throw out the idea, you know, and people are like, "Ah, that's not very interesting to me." Well, you probably just saved yourself a lot of time and effort and money. <laughs> but if <laughs> you hold if you hold the idea close to your vest and you go into your you know basement and you you know, put your head down for two years and then you come out and you go. Look at this idea, um, you know, uh, and and everybody's like, "Well, that yeah, that would have been great two years ago." <laughs> <You know? laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I I I would say that we're we're in a very interesting time, and you have to move very fast. And I think it's you have you have to start with the idea and and move through the process. You get you get validation on the idea, great. Build build the simplest possible version of your product or service, and release it, and then and then let your customers design the rest of it. Say, look, now that we've delivered this one feature, it's like, what else would you like? You know, what else would make you happy? How how else can we make this better? And your customers will then tell you, you know, how to build your product. And and that's and that's the best possible way to do it because you're essentially letting it evolve in the primordial ooze that is the market, um, instead of trying to figure out how that evolution is gonna happen inside your head, which is impossible.
1: Exactly. Yeah you just like you said in the very beginning you can't just assume that you know what you think is going to sell is actually going to sell to the you know your target audience because you've got to get to know and understand that audience first and the only way to do that like you said is get to get the get the idea out there and then get the feedback
2: Mm -hmm. absolutely
1: so is there anything else you'd like to close with uh today because we're about to uh, end here with our show. Very interesting show with Michael Tracy. Uh, Michael, is there uh, any last words before we end well, our conversation?
2: I, I, I think, I think we live in a pretty extraordinary time. I think people, I think, I think more money is going to be made in the months and years ahead than at any other time in human history. And that money is going to flow to mostly entrepreneurs. Right. Yes. Um, and you know, Entrepreneurship is a wonderful thing, but if you don't have the requisite sales skills to really get your idea out and, and really sell it and bring in those investors and those employees and actually get those initial sales and product services, then you, I mean, that's, a, that's something that, um, that I'm, I'm happy to, to help you with if you feel like you need some help. Um, Eileen, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. And stay tuned for our next show in a couple weeks, and we'll be um, here uh, to answer any questions or help you. So uh, contact me at Eileen at The Balanced Millionaire if you like this show or have any comments. That's it for our show today.
2: Thank you, Eileen. You're welcome.
0: Thank you for tuning into The Balanced Millionaire with your host, Eileen Mendel, CEO of Inner Edge International, business consultant, multimedia marketing expert, renowned speaker and author. Connect with Eileen Mendel, The Balanced Millionaire. Increase your confidence, creativity, balance, awareness, direction, motivation, and catapult your business to the next level and beyond.